When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab Radio Archives. Alright, um, okay, so first I wanted to ask you some, uh, important questions, um, First and foremost, uh, how did you, how did your label come about? And do you remember the day when you were like, hey, I want to start a label? <laughs> I, 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 I kind of do. Great. Yeah, okay. Think- Tell us the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, you, do you want to go? I mean, it really, yeah, we should sort of, we should both take this on, I think. It, um, it, <laughs> It was basically Ryan and I met in New York City, Mm -hmm. and this is sort of end of the 90s, beginning of the aughts, and we we became fast friends because I lived above a bar and he lived across the street from it, but we had met earlier at parties in Boston and stuff, like uh, techno and electro nights and punk nights and stuff like that, and... Cool. We after I moved to Los Angeles in 2005, Ryan and I, who had become sort of DJ partners and and just hangout buddies, we just started sending care packages back and forth and staying in touch about music. And we we had sort of this ongoing thread about records that we wish people would reissue. Uh-huh. Um, and it was around. It was, like a, it was a pretty it was a pretty big list of like why isn't no one put this out or reissue this. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, oh, this is crazy. Why is nobody doing this? And then it was around that time that Ryan began working with Genesis. You want to take it from here, Ryan? Um, (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, uh, you know, pretty much everything could be said in then around, like, 2004, I think it was. Uh Uh, I started working with Genesis uh, at first cataloging her archives and then um, in 2007, I became Jen's manager. But this is kind of like before then, I was coming across, I was telling Gibby about like kind of my work doing archival work there and how I was coming across all these like rare tapes that, you know, like actual master tapes for Coom transmissions and all this kind of stuff that no one's ever heard. Mm-hmm. Gibby always kind of took a keen interest in it. And then uh, I believe it was around 2007. Um, I specifically remember getting woken up rudely by Gibby um, <laughs> calling me saying kind of out of nowhere that we should start a label and and by and started by you know re- uh-huh. reissuing or just putting out these tapes that no one had ever heard. That's I, so I cool. Agree- That's I, I agreed to it and went back to sleep and then 
by the time I woke up in the afternoon. <laughs> he had already like had a, a, a label name and but like, 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 everything everything at Ball was already rolling and so I, I you know. But it was sort of wasn't the sort of it wasn't it the discovery of the acetate that you found that sort of yeah it was the discovery of not not just the acetate but I found the actual master tape that the acetate was made from so that's it was, right actually it was our first record was the release of Genesis's first record that people had talked about a lot but no one had technically heard it uh-huh. and. And the reason why no one heard it, because there was only one copy. Jen had famously just made an acetate where you, in the 60s, you could mail in a, a tape. To, they had, like, ads in the back Crazy. of, like, magazines. Like, yeah. mail in your tape and we'll make you one copy of a record. And it all yeah, become a like star. A, make a record. Yeah. So, was, so this, was, was like that. this was before Throbbing Gristle. Or yeah, no. this was in 1968. 19, was, oh, my God, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Jen was, like, 18, and uh, actually, I think it was recorded in 67, but uh-huh. Jen made the acetate, I think, in 68. So wow. So you go in your tape, and they'll cut you, like, a, they cut you, like, a, a reference lacquer, essentially, is all uh-huh. it was. And I found it, and it was, you know, it's pretty, it's all handwritten, and... It was Jen's friends in, like, college or something. I know Jen's dad plays on it, and, like, all Oh, wow. Stuff. It, is there are there a lot of like is it like a rock sort of thing? Oh no! Oh, no. no. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I, uh, I don't know it, what you would call it. It's a bunch of kids banging on on instruments and experimenting. And oh, so it's experimental. Spoken word and poetry. Okay. Yeah, it's like a lot of beat play on a and, Yeah. Yeah, because I, I could yeah. never imagine him actually playing in a rock band or like. Yeah, you know, rock music. No. But given that it was made in the '60s, I was I would be like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely like amateurish beatnik kind of warm up on it. Yeah, not so stuff. Bunch of kids trying to be weirdos and different, and this is what they came they up succeeded. with. They succeeded. Yeah. Wow. But the acetate was really rough. But I found the master tape, the like actual real tape. That the that Jen had mailed in. So when you mail it in, they cut your record, send you your record back with your tape. The tape still existed, and it was in pretty decent shape. So had it transferred, and so we actually had a good copy. And the thing is, Jen had talked about it in interviews for years. Like, you know, everyone was like, "What was your first record?" And Jen was like, "Actually, my first record was this thing I did, and there's only one copy in existence." And everyone thought Jen was full. Like, yeah, sure, there's one copy in existence. It really is that the early Worm record really is, in, I, I guess, is con- was considered by many to sort of be like the holy grail of industrial records collectors because it, it, it predated everything. It was sort of the first, mm-hmm. the, the first release. And, so in, and there, Ryan's just bumbling around in the basement, you know, organizing, you know, didn't expect to come across it, sorting with Jen. And then it sort of, it literally just fell into our hands. And, and Ryan and I were like, you know, well, somebody should release this. Who will release this? And it was another one of our conversations where we were like, man, someone should really do this. And <laughs> yeah. then, well, and Jen, then had made, like, Jen had made a comment. I, when I did come across it, Jen was actually with me when we started cataloging the two. Because not only that, there was like, you know, like 30 hours of unreleased throbbing gristle, like all the Coombe transmissions recordings, which is like hundreds of hours. Yeah. Stuff. And, all, and all sorts of various other things, like unreleased Burroughs recordings and Oh, yeah. And I go, okay. I go, someone should put this out. And Jen literally goes, well, why don't you put it out? You're the one that knows the most about it right now. You're working with it every day. And I go, well, I don't have that. 
you know, I don't know. I've never done that. And, you know, got the snarky, like, well, I didn't know what I was doing when I started Industrial Records. And, you know, and uh-huh. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got that lecture. So I was like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> And then I mentioned that to Gibby, and then, it, like, I think we we sat on it for, like, a week or two, and then I got a call of Gibby being like, yeah, we should do it. It's it's sort of a, you know, the coming together of a bunch of, uh, a bunch of fortuitous things, you know, and getting the opportunity to release that, certainly. Yeah, was yeah. A, a great first release that helped, helped found, you know, help help you know, legitimize us and put us in a, a really good position to continue to work, so... That's a great story, yeah. though. That's that's a good one, for sure. Um, were it, was you... kinda, it was it was kind of weird that like a label that just kind of literally just showed up out of nowhere, and their first release was the super sought after thing. It was kind of like we kind of came out of the gate running with that one. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about. Oh, you guys just did some reissues. Or I don't know if you just did them, but you you have done a bunch of reissues. Speaking of reissuing, mm-hmm. um, so I you uh, you reissued Annie Anxiety, um, oh, yeah. Spawn Ranch, Ragnar Grip, yeah, Ragnar and Grip also up. Psychic TV. Um, was it the allegory and self pagan day? Is that what that is? Yeah. The split release. Okay. Yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about why you decided to do reissues of those those groups. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think out of the gate, Ryan and I, you know, we talked a little bit about the the beginnings of the label. Our, our early discussions were all about reissues. Like, so much reissues. Yeah, that yeah. This is super rare. And, and so, basically, it's always been part of our DNA, is finding these rare and sought after releases and, and sort of repackaging them and representing them for a new audience. That's always been something we've done. And at the same time, you know, we also began working with new bands. So bands like Ice Age, Cold Kiss, right out of the gate. And our reissues were attracting a certain kind of band that wanted to work with us. Like, hey, we saw you worked with these guys. Like, you did this reissue. Like, wow, what a great fit. And so immediately we we had this sort of context and, and, and uh, similarity. There are many parallels between the stuff we were reissuing and the new bands we began to work with. And I think over time that sort of created our, I guess, deus aesthetic. Uh-huh. Um, and we, I, I don't, we don't, we were, we're really not genre specific, but we've never stopped reissuing stuff. Um, it, it, it's always been something we wanted to do. Um, Ryan, uh, befriended Annie, and he can speak a little bit more about sort of that that project. Annie is, you know, deeply woven into um, the fabric of that uh, that sort of dub punk scene. Was a player not only with Crass, but with um, with the the sort of uh, Ryan. I don't know, like hey, hey, she wasn't mean, in she PTV, was, but. The New York, yeah. the, the World Serpent crew and all that. So there's a, yeah, go ahead. Um, I mean, the reason why I got in touch, I mean, with Annie was um, kind of just through mutual friends because, you know, from working with Genesis for so long, uh, a lot of these people have just kind of, we've like, I've just bumped into and come into the sphere of so many 
people that were maybe in gen circles in the 80s or, or whatever and I just okay. kind of got to I got to know kind of all these people over the past you know I don't know how long it's been 14 years or something mm-hmm. so you know I got to know Drew McDowell Drew McDowell Annie, yeah and, I wanted to ask about him as well oh yeah he's the best um, your, uh, and, and so is yeah. Annie um, but you know and so I just got to like, kind of know these people just from kind of being around and being in that kind of sphere and playing shows with these people on top of like putting out records by these people and like you know trying to represent them you know because a lot of these records like people were like yeah they're legendary but only a niche amount of people knew what they were mm-hmm. and there was a lot of I, it's kind of like I knew there was an audience of people that hadn't heard these records yet but once they did would you know be completely blown away by it you know like yeah i agree possession by yeah so so soul possession by any anxiety was just like one of those examples of like hey this is a record that will totally blow your mind you haven't heard it yet you know the people that have heard it love it yeah people haven't heard it it's like trust me on this one and yeah. that's exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, Annie was tied in with Coyle and Drew McDowell. I mean, she used to be, like, roommates with Drew or lived across the hall or something like that. And I knew B, who played in Getting the Fear and was in Coyle and stuff like that in Car mm-hmm. 93. B had hooked me up with Annie. I'd met Annie just, like, kind of casually around New York for years. And then we just became really good friends. And same with you know kind of like with drew i i was i met drew because i was playing shows with him and knew the same people and eventually me and drew were on the same bill about 15 times and you know ended up working together that's incredible that's really really cool um yeah, yeah no i didn't i didn't know who any anxiety was until i saw that you guys reissued her oh own yeah, album. She's, yeah. A, she's a total trip. Yeah, and I, I totally like. That's sort of <laughs> that's like the goal, right? Like pre- presenting these these old artists and and old recordings to a new audience. And we find you know 100% of the time that they're they're just as relevant. Like people are just as blown away and like holy shit, you know this is it's it's sort of why we do it, you know. <laughs> to hear yeah. Like oh shit, I didn't even know this existed. You have a, it's like you have a treasure just like kind of just sitting right here, you know. Wait, yeah. Right. A, a little like dusty. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. You really need to get cleaned up a little bit, but you know it's all good. Yeah. yeah. And and, and you know, particularly bands like American bands like Spawn Ranch, who are from Michigan, like that. I I've been friends with Odell for years, and you know I I had heard of. Spawn Ranch, but was so, on a, just didn't put two and two together, and then he hit me up and was like, hey, you know, check this out, check out these old photos, we'd love to do something, and then you listen to it, and you're just like, wow, this is totally timeless, you know, so it's, it's stuff like that that, that we kind of seek out. Very cool, all right, um, so I wanted to ask you guys some questions that are kind of unrelated to your label. <laughs> as well to spice up okay. this interview <laughs> no i'm like totally like i love everything that you guys have said it's like actually really awesome but um real quick though how did you guys get the name deus that's all uh, he, he came uh, up with it okay it yeah it's it, it gets mispronounced like people are like diet oh, oh, yeah but <laughs> it's D-I-A-A. people always say d-i-a-s i'm like it's four letters like what? it's not hard uh-huh. <laughs> it's um 
it's a, sort of an obscure word. It's a weird word. Um, I like it. It's short. Um, but a dais is just a, it's a raised platform or a plinth, and it's something that um, indicates like um, importance or respect or care. You know, it's 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 like the platform that somebody speaks from or that. Um, a king's table would be set on in like a medieval dining hall. It's oh. still used today during like, like the term dais is still used today in like you know wedding ceremonies. You get married on the dais or yeah, speaker yeah. conferences. Please use the name of the lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a speaking platform. Yeah. So, it's also like, like the thing in the Olympics. The thing that they stand on when they get their medals is called the Olympic dais. Oh, okay. So, um. So yeah, it was. It's just sort of a, a a place to speak from or a place to you know sort of it okay yeah great no i i actually know a lot of uh the people on your label that um the newer the newer uh additions to your label like high functioning flesh drab majesty um yeah. i know those guys they're really cool um tell us a little bit about that maybe before we go into the other questions <laughs> Sure. Um, so I think Ryan and I have historically really been great at um, it's sort of like localized A&R between L.A. and New York. Like we're both like really familiar with the bands that are in each of our cities and beyond. You know, we work with bands in other countries and stuff. We did Cake Kitchen in New Zealand. And, you know, we, we, we work with people in Europe and the U.K. But I think like before I get into sort of that LA, that LA side of things, we're really sort of, we, we've made an effort recently to really branch out in terms of what, what we're doing outside of our respective cities. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, LA, in, in, I, I'm in LA and Ryan is in New York and, um, and high functioning flesh and dramatically, I was just sort of seeing out and about. And uh, there's a really great radio show here in, in Los Angeles, um, mm -hmm. called Part Time Punks. Oh yeah, and Michael. I listen to that yeah, every it's, Thursday. It's, it's run, <laughs> yeah, and it's run by this guy Michael Stock, and there's a uh, there's a party, like a weekly Sunday party that complements the radio show, and then he does these part time punk sessions, sort of John PLS recording sessions with all the bands that he works with. Uh huh. And he's been a he's been a real friend of the label in terms of you know sending things our way. And I had heard sort of whispers of Drad Majesty. He had a tape out on another local label and was playing, uh, was playing shows. And, uh, you know, Michael Stock recommended, like, hey, check this out. You know, these, this guy's, you should really look into this, you know. And we, we I, you know, I, I was sent the record and the video, and Ryan and I really liked it, you know. And we, we spoke with, we spoke with, uh, with Drown Majesty, you know, on and off for a few weeks, you know, sort of just, sorting it out before we brought him on board and we're really excited that we did high functioning flesh is also um a real you know just just so uh so legit you know diy uh, yeah yeah in, industrial punk and, and you know i i'd seen them around a ton in la as well and when the record dropped on uh on dk we were like well this is you know th these guys are super good um and uh, and we reached out to them as well. Another LA, another LA band. Oh yeah, they're, they're both they're both super LA. great. Huh. <laughs> yeah, they're both LA. Yeah. And they're just you know ceaseless. Like 
these guys just, you know, managed to put out a, a, somehow a record better than the last every time, you know, which is great. Very cool. All right. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you guys each. Um, okay. So this is really off topic, but what dead person would you want to spend a day with and what would you do? Oh, God. Don't, <laughs> oh, man, that one. Ryan, don't. I, oh, my God. I know it's oh, a really oh, weird question. Like, if we narrowed it down to musician, what dead musician, maybe? Uh, <laughs> none of them. Uh, none of them. Uh, I, I would like to spend time with probably Brian Geisen. Okay. He just seems like he'd be the most fun. And what would you guys do? Uh, probably just a lot of drugs or something. A lot of drugs? Okay. Yeah, it's just people. I'm, I'm fairly easygoing. Okay. Um, do you have anyone? A dead musician that I'd want to hang out with for a day? Uh, I don't even like hanging out with too many live musicians. Um, <laughs> Mozart, man. Oh, that's a great answer. Yeah. Wait, what did you say? Mozart. Mozart. Mozart, oh god! <laughs> and, and what would you guys do? Oh, um, powder wig party together. Attend parties in our finery and play at the piano forte. Uh, lovely, very lovely answers. Okay, um, and what person who's alive would you want to spend the day with, and what would you do? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I, I already. If it could be anybody, uh, someone I haven't met yet. Um, uh, man, <laughs> alive. Aside from your girlfriends and your wives, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um. <coughs> I just I'd spend the day with Ryan because we live so far away. Yeah, that's my answer. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Well, I don't, we only, we only that's get really heartwarming. We, 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 we don't really get to hang out all that much. So Yeah, we just have, like, Skype. Well, we, we talk every day. So, uh-huh. so I kind of take, take for granted that, like, we actually physically aren't in, aren't in the same room only, like, every other year or so. If that. We've gone years without being, you know. Oh, okay. So it would make life a lot easier if we saw each other regularly. So. That's really sweet. I like that. Um, okay, so uh, I wanted to ask Gibby something. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like, okay, I don't know if this is like appropriate because this is like, you know, this Ooh, is like a. <laughs> I'm gonna sit down for this one. <laughs> no, but I heard through the grapevine that you actually started the makeout club back in the day. Yeah. And yeah, I, right. I remember that because I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Were you on it? <laughs> yeah, I was. Like nice. most people that I nice. knew, yeah, for like a second. But, um... Yeah. That... So that was like 1999. Uh-huh. Uh, I was living in Boston and attending art school, um, going to shows, and, you know, the internet hadn't quite happened. So I think the, the internet 
was certainly around in the, in the mid and late 90s, but accessibility wasn't what it was today. So, um, you know, if you had internet, you probably had dial-up. Um, very few people I knew had computers, uh -huh. you know, that were sort of in, and, and uh, certainly nobody had cell phones um, or, you know, much less uh, smartphones. So <clears throat> the whole concept around it came from just the idea of uh, bringing people together in the music scene, you know, you saw that like MRR had like Book Your Own Life that was this huge printed, printed manual with all the booking agents and bands and zines in every town. And, um, you know, I, I think there was this feeling that my friends and I had when we would like drive to Providence or drive to Philly to go record shopping and meet people like, wow, there's kids like us in like every town. Like this is, there's like a hangout spot in the record store and the coffee shop in every city. Like just this, this desire to sort of see if we could create this online hangout. And um, there were other sites at the time. I think there was like a dating site. There was some, there was like six apart or some, but there wasn't really, uh, there was sexy scenesters on um, track, records, uh, track star records page, uh -huh. which was like brilliant. Um, and that certainly was inspirational. I was like, you know, what, what if we just let people sign up and create their own profile and like just, put up their photo and their instant message and um and that was that you know and that was sort of the beginning okay very cool um yeah, it was fun we got in a lot of trouble it was great <laughs> it was a lot oh wait why did you get in trouble oh i just mean uh from from a you know party perspective there was yeah. you know yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah trouble. Youthful, youthful trouble. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it, got it. Kids are getting crazy, yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you guys feel about, like, techno coming back, like, like uh, really strong? Like, I feel like techno's definitely become really popular again. I don't know. Like, I feel maybe yeah, like... No, no, no. Uh, like I'm like kind of like out of the loop, but I feel like as of late, like it feels like the '90s again, basically. Which you could say like it's been that way for a long time, but like I feel like more now so than ever. Like there's like raves everywhere, every night. Yeah, and um, it's it's very techno like fueled. Like I don't well, know. A I mean, a couple things. It's like I don't think. Techno really necessarily went, you know, went away. Yeah, it's yeah, just, I know. I the know. focus, the focus, had, it shifted, and I think why we're we're starting to see this kind of obsession now is as a younger generation that kind of grew up with the internet. Um, yeah. I mean, I could speak for me and Gibby. I don't know how old you are, but you know, we were around for the change, as uh -huh. my friend calls it, of like when we went from this kind of analog world to an online world. And, you know, now we have kids, they're not kids anymore, they're in their 20s, but they've been with it their whole life. So the genre lines that maybe me and Gibby kind of grew up with, um, you know, being, you know, almost 40, that those were kind of set in stone. So, you, you know, people that were, you know, into techno, and then there's, you're into this thing and that thing, which is a ridiculous way to consume music, personally, I think. But... You know, they kind of grew up where all these lines are blurred. So you have, like, kind of crust punks that are throwing techno parties, and it just seemingly to someone older doesn't make any sense, but to them it makes perfect sense, you know? Yeah. And it, it's all one and the same. So I think why you're seeing it, yeah, blow up all over the place is 
the political climate, you know, if you want to, you, I mean, right now it's kind of grim, so, you know, you want to escape. And so what's more fun than that, you know? And <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I get it from that perspective. But it's also like there is a, a whole generation of kids that are, are, I keep calling them kids, but they're, they're not kids. They're adults. <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're, they're, making, yeah. they're making things happen. They're doing things, and they're taking initiative. And that's why it's kind of in your face, and you're seeing it every weekend. It's because, you know, they're, they're the ones kind of in charge right now, and they're the ones making things happen and making really interesting things happen with electronic music and stuff. And electronic music is a lot more accessible than it was in the 90s. In the 90s, someone making techno, it was a really laborious, difficult thing that only a few people could really do yeah. and do it well. Mm-hmm. And now with technology, we have yeah, a bunch of 20-year-olds that grew up with amazing technology, and that technology is getting better every, every week. Um, so they can make really amazing tracks, and, and also they have the internet that is just endless reference. They can reference things where if I had to go find um, Thunder Geometrica in 96, mm-hmm. it was difficult. You had to know about it first, mm-hmm. and it was it was a really tough thing to do. And, you know, you had to be a real nerd to do it. I mean, that's where me and Gibby had this <laughs> thing in common, yeah. that we were both people that tape traded in the early 90s and were in bands and, you know, and all this kind of thing. But the Internet was really great because they can reference things. So people can just bang out amazing techno tracks really easily and, and it's really unique I mean if you listen to the what's popular in electronic music yeah. it's really bizarre it's like the avant-garde almost got really really deep into it because kids just didn't want straight I mean I personally love really straightforward you know Jeff Mills style techno yeah. but and that and that will always you know hold a huge place but you gotta go further you, you always have to go further, and that—that that I think a lot of it is just, is just that is accessibility to technology, and the current political climate is, you know, yeah. people are really letting loose. It's great. Yeah, no, I, I actually really I love that it's happening. I think it's really yeah. good. I just wanted to hear your guys' take on it. Um, That's my take. I don't know about Gibby's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the I think technology is sort of you know there. There, you can hem and haw about the, sort of the, the dying art of seeking, you know, driving in record crate digging and going from town to town. And, you know, obtaining a rare record isn't what it used to be. You know, you can, you can download it now and mm-hmm. you have access to it. You know, I think it, while it, 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 it certainly changes the way that it was when Ryan and I were younger, it also, it also fertilizes the soil, as it were, um, of creativity simply because somebody can research online they can they can understand all the touch points and all the references much quicker than than we were able to they can get access to rare music much quicker mm-hmm. um, and also the context of how record how music is released has really changed I think I, I, I think there was a there was a focus in sort of you know creating demos and getting signed to a label and getting your vinyl released was was um, particularly in electronic music, you know, I think it, it shifted because the tools are at your fingertips to release it yourself. And techno, you know, there's now tape, tape labels, digital labels, and there's not 
there doesn't seem to be um, as much of a, as much of a, um, as many obstacles in the path of artists or creators. They can put their stuff up. They can get feedback immediately. They can distribute it to their friends so easily. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's cool. Okay. Um, very nice. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I wanted to also ask you a little bit about, um, Drew McDowell, who, uh, as we all know, used to be in Coil in the 90s, I believe, right? Yeah, he joined around 90s 95. Coil. Yeah. Um, so you guys are actually having a, a really um, a big show coming up, your 10th anniversary, 10th mm-hmm. year, 10-year anniversary show, and uh, Drew McDowell's headlining. And he's playing... Which Coil album in its entirety? Time, time Machine. Time Machine? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, that's incredible. I'm, like, really excited about that. But um, how did you get involved with Jim McDowell? I know you said a little bit about it, like, earlier um, with yeah. Genesis and, like, all those people. But, like, um, what made you want to uh, work with Drew? Are you a um, huge, like, Coil fan or... Uh, I mean, I am, but that—that's kind of not where where it kind of came from. Was uh-huh. um, me and Drew. Uh, Drew's kind of been like a guy around New York City, keeping a really low profile since the late '90s. You wouldn't even known he was here. He didn't play live. He didn't do anything like that. But we had a bunch of mutual friends, and um, you know, I play music and and perform and and whatever, and. We both play like modular synthesizers, and this was like uh, years and years ago when modular synthesizers were weren't what they are right now. You know, mm-hmm. like no one had them. It was like this really obscure instrument that only like real deep electronic people were into. And so they had these meetups in New York years ago because there was only about ten of us, and they would have these performances called modular equinoxes that would um, be like all the modular people in New York City would get together and play them and again there was only about 10 of us so it, they were small shows and Drew got in on it and there's this guy named Nathan Shirley who uh, was in Long Distance Poison he used to put them on and he introduced us and I knew of Drew through Genesis like knew his name and knew who he was but um, I didn't know him and we got on the same bill over and over and over again and just became really good friends kind of through these modular meetups and then the modular scene got bigger and bigger and and uh yeah we just started playing shows together and just we ended up kind of just becoming really good friends through the modular world of all things and then you know the fact that we had all these mutual friends um like people like b and jen and and gave it to that and stuff. And eventually, he started playing so much that people started getting a following, not as, like, the guy from Coil, but as this really amazing modular guy, local guy in New York. Oh, okay. And that's what people, yeah, it's kind of weird how it, like, it kind of worked in reverse. Um, cause, which you know, is he, great. He's, which he's is, in his which is the best possible. You know, and, he, and he, yeah, and he's got this, like, He's having his renaissance right now, and you know, because he was always around, but he's always in other people's bands, and yeah, yeah, and he's been around since the '70s, you know, and and eventually it just got to the point where it was, 
I, I remember going out to dinner with him, and I'm like, hey, man, you play every week in New York. You play constantly, yet you've never put out a record, solo record, like Drew McDowell. Mm -hmm. like he's, he's done collaborations. He did Compound Eye with a friend of his and uh, a couple other projects, too. But, again, they're just kind of project collaborations. But he was playing solo all the time in New York. I mean, every week he would go see Drew McDowell, which was a huge luxury, you know, I mean, we were spoiled here, like, getting you got to see Drew every week, you know, in your neighborhood, um, and it was always amazing, and so I, I kind of just was going, I mean, him were just going out to grab dinner one night, just because we became really good friends, and he's just, I go, hey, man, you really need to put out a record at this point, and <laughs> I'm going, yeah. I'm going to put it out, uh. I, I'm going to do it, and he just was like, yeah, okay. I'll make a record, and then literally in a couple weeks, he's like, I think I'm done with it. Yeah. And that was, and that was collapsed. Um, and I, it just, like, I really stood by it. Like, I was just like, I want to get Drew McDowell out of New York City and into the masses. And the only way he's going to do that is to put out a record. Because if he puts out a record, he can tour. And, like, and now he's, he's on fire, man. Like, I don't even know where he is half the time. I, I'll text him. He's like, I'm, really, I'm here. I'm playing a show in Russia. And I'm just like, man, like, he's. He's, he's jet-setting all over the place now, and people, I mean, also if you meet him in person, he's the most lovable person you get. You just want to, like, adopt him. He's, he's, he's the so best. incredible. He really is. And so now, yeah, we've just been on a roll, kind of keeping up the momentum of trying to, each record he makes, trying to build on the last one and just push him further, you know, into, into the world. And, and yeah, and so Time Machines was his baby with coil that was yeah kind of, you know, he, he he wrote that record you know by himself it was a demo and then he brought it to sleazy and john bounce and then they they worked on it and made it what it was but like it was that drew's kind of solo coil kind of project and it's always been if you ask him like his his, his favorite achievement was creating time machines like that's that was his baby so it's been out of print for 20 years, and he, I, we had our 10-year anniversary coming up, and he asked us, you know, would we be interested in reissuing it? We said yes, and then I go, I got a good idea. We got our 10-year anniversary coming up. How about you perform it live, like, you know, do Time Machines? And he was just, he got really just wrapped up in the idea, and so did, you know, so did me and Gibby and stuff, so, and that's what kind of spawned the whole, like, all right, we'll have this as the head, you know, this, like, kind of epic masterwork by this guy, this guy that we've kind of really grown with and have him like represent it again representing it to to a new audience because it's really tough to get a copy of time machine it's like a thousand dollar record you yeah. know so you know and so we're going to reissue it so that anyone can go in a record shop and buy it for a normal price you know because mm -hmm. everyone should listen to time machines I don't know, on a weekly basis, do yoga to it or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible record, and it's a really important record, so. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I saw him play live um, at Zebulon, I think. Oh, great. With yeah, yeah, like a couple weeks ago or something. Um, yeah, that, that was awesome. incredible. That was really that was really a great show. I really enjoyed it. Um, she's amazing, too. She's, she's, really, she's really special. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you to, um, 
What, oh yeah, I wanted to ask you earlier, what kind of bands were you guys in back in the day? Because you mentioned that you were in some bands. Yeah. Were you in like hardcore bands? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just like, just like a, a mix of stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was in more prominent uh, hardcore bands, I think, as a has a has a smoother relationship with it than I do, but uh, I was in a band in the '90s called The Trouble, which was like a street punk band, uh-huh. um, and then a hardcore band called Panic, um, and then sort of a dark techno project um, with my friend Troy Pierce um, called Louderbach, and that was on Underline and Minus Records between 2005 and 2009 or 10. Uh huh. Um, are you, are you really, planning on reissuing any of those albums? No, you know, they've all been reissued. <laughs> oh, um, they have been. <laughs> yeah, not the Louderbox stuff, but, um, all, you know, all the all the punk stuff has been reissued by a great label in Boston called um, Bridge Nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, if you could reissue, like, anything you want, like, if you had the opportunity to reissue, like, anything in the world, what would it be? Um, it's a dangerous one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> hey, if, we, if I, I people are listening, they'd be like, huh. <laughs> I, you know, I got to say that, that Ryan, you know, those lists that Ryan and I sent back and forth 10 years ago of records that we wanted to reissue, uh-huh. um, at the top of my list were three records, two of which we've already, I mean, the list was dozens long, but at the top there were there were a few records, Annabelle's Garden, Deviation Social, who was an obscure American industrial tape artist from the Bay Area, who we found out was, um, was a SoCal surfer that lived not, long, not far from our house, sort of just doing his thing. And, you know, we were able to track him down and reissue that. And, there was, and then a third um, is one that we're going to be reissuing in 2018, but I can't say much about it. Oh, okay. We'll be able to reveal more later, but I think, like, the point of my answer is, I think we've done it. Okay. Like, I, there's, there's more we want to do, but it's, like, we've really been able to reissue stuff that we never thought possible, work with artists that we never thought we, we'd be able to work with, people we really admire. I mean, people that Ryan and I grew up really, you know, really admiring and respecting. Um, and it's been the biggest gift that this label could give us, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm quite... I, I, sure, there's things that are super hyper-obscure and, and, and wonderful that I, that I wish we could reissue. Um, It'd be clear that he coils uh, music to play in the dark, but I, I think that's kind of going to be a little untouchable given the circumstances. Uh-huh. But, oh, that record's so perfect. Uh-huh. <laughs> it really needs to get reissued. But, yeah. you know. Um... So. What's your What's your new favorite techno project? Do either of you listen to techno? <laughs> oh yeah, all the time. Um, what's my current? I mean, I kind of like what every. I mean, my favorite person kind of doing it now. Well, a the new Vera Coney LP is really incredible. Um, the new stuff that's been coming out on Bank mm-hmm. in, in New York. Um, I mean, we signed a band called Wetware that had a, a record out on Bank, and they're, they're doing their first proper full length with us. You heard, of of you heard it here first. You heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
and they're kind of checking me. I mean, I like everything kind of coming. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a local guy here, so it's like, you know, people like Sierra Black, the Klein, Sam Fuegas, um, all, all that kind of that, that kind of whole crew mm-hmm. um, is are my are my friends. So I'm a I'm a tad biased, but it's still I think it's you know some really incredible things coming out of New York. Uh, Five one seven one seven. It's kind of technically the new Sean O'Sullivan's new record. Absolutely incredible. Um, the new Bet Patricia uh, Triple LP record is really amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's currently on my next to my turntable. So <laughs> Okay. Cool. Um I also noticed uh you guys um just signed the band Hyde to your label. Oh yeah. Which I had the pleasure of seeing not too long ago as well and I think they're incredible. But um yeah, how did that all come about? Are they they're from they're from far away, Chicago. right? Where are they from? They're, oh, from <laughs> they're from Chicago, yeah. And it's you know, as I mentioned earlier, part of our efforts to sort of branch out, you know, beyond New York and L.A. Um, we don't really want to be pinned down as, as too city-centric um, from where Ryan and I live. Um, and uh, and um, Hyde has been on our radar for a while, uh, over yeah. a year. And I, we played initially... a sh- I played a show with them, like, uh, I don't know, like nine months ago, a year ago or something like that. Yeah, I played a gig with them, and I was I was opening for them, and then I watched them play, and I was I think I was texting Gibby from while I'm watching them, being like, "This band's amazing!" Like, uh-huh, totally yeah. blew my mind. And yeah, yeah, stellar, just stellar, powerful live performance. Um, they just played here in LA last weekend, um, and we had the record. We uh, a, a friend of ours had sent us the record and the, the 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 downside of running a label is you can't put out everything you want when you want it and um and we at the time we were way overbooked um and we stayed in touch with the band and through friends and we were able you know uh thankfully the schedules just worked out perfectly they were reworking the record remixing it editing up some tracks and so it had it had been sort of in progress during the entire period of time that we were busy, mm-hmm. um, and we reached out to them. Funnily, uh, uh, strangely enough, on the day they left for their current tour, and we're like, "Hey, you know, what, what's your, what's your plan? <laughs> like, what, can we throw our hat in the ring?" And they were just as ecstatic about the idea as, as we were. So, the rest yeah, of it happened great. real quick, just like bam, perfect. Um. Okay. Um, who, okay, so I ha- also have another, I have some more silly questions for you guys. Hope you don't mind. Well, I, 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 I sat down, I sat down last night, like, trying to write, like, really professional style questions, but I was like, ugh, like, boring, boring. Yeah, 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 and I was like, you know what, I'd rather, like, I mean, these are really ridiculous questions, but, like, I figure, like, these are actually things that I want to know that you guys, like, you know, about you guys, so. Um, who is your all-time favorite singers? Hmm. Favorite singers? Uh, Freddie Mercury. Oh, yeah. That's good, a good answer. Um, uh... Um, 
You know, I have like these oddball obscure people that like I like their voices and stuff like that. But I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I was like loved them when I was, you know, nine. I like, I really do like Michael Jackson. Oh, okay. And I, and I had it for yeah. a long time since I was a kid. No, I mean, since I was a kid, I loved the Jackson Five, and I had a poster of them in my room. And uh, I was listening to Off the Wall recently, and I was just like, man, he really killed it. So. Yeah. True, true. Yeah. I think I think I've had to listen to someone for almost forty years. Like. Do you ever go to Do you ever go to Forest Lawn? Uh, What's that? Do you ever go to Forest Lawn Cemetery in Glendale? No. Uh, yeah, I do. He's supposedly yeah. buried there, or like his ashes are there, or whatever. Um, is it like a secret grave or something? <laughs> it's, like, it's a no, mausoleum. No, it's, no not, it's like. Yeah, I mean that's, that's kind of his style. Like, so I wouldn't be surprised. You know, the, yeah. There's all sorts of conspiracy theories, but yeah, he's supposed to be like there. Like people go there from all over the world and like leave like flowers and like cards and really like amazing drawings actually, and like it's pretty incredible. <laughs> If you ever cool. come out here, you I'll, should go there. Yeah, I'll, I'll swing by there and visit, visit Mike. I think I, I'm, well, another one of my favorites, hands down, is, and maybe my favorite is Harriet Wheeler, um, singer of the Sundays. Oh, whoa. Ooh. Yeah, and, and maybe that's just sort of a bookmark of, toward you know, nostalgia and sort of my, my younger years, but I, I just cannot tire of her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got, a, she's got a great voice for sure. Yeah. Okay, so on to the next silly question. Um, what's your favorite city in the world, like any city, and why? <laughs> oh, man. I don't have a favorite city, but I have a favorite place. Okay. And that would be in Iceland, but I think Reykjavik is probably my least part, favorite part of Iceland. But that's where I kind of feel most at ease and at home. Never been, but that sounds lovely. Uh, Definitely go. Yeah. Can't recommend it enough. Um, it's a tough, tough question. I, I've had the, you know, I've had the, the fortune to live in mostly major cities my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, New York, Boston, Los Angeles. Um, lived in St. Louis as a, as a child. Um, and it's really, there are things that I love and hate about every place that I've lived and visited. And it's really that's a really tough question to answer. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. You I love where I am today. I love Los Angeles. All right. Me too. Los Angeles is great. Um, okay, and so what What advice would you give to people that would like to start a label? Like, what What are, like, some main things that you would like to Run. share with them <laughs> if they're start listening? Now, do it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's... It's school, get an education, don't do that. Like, it's not as yeah, hard don't. as they think it is. Like, just do it. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of a daily struggle. Like, I mean, for every one label that does really well, there's hundreds that don't, you know? So, yeah. it just, you gotta, you gotta figure out what your priorities are. Do you want it to be this, like, kind of successful behemoth, or do you not care? Like, you know, it's like, well, five people by the records and I'm happy you know I don't give a shit and so you know what I mean you really gotta you, learn, you gotta figure my out advice that. would just be um, do what you love release records that you want to own right. Ryan and I don't put out anything that we both don't adore and the reason we started the record label was to create objects that we wanted on our shelf 
we were like, I wish somebody would reissue this, or this lost tape, or whatever, <laughs> or this amazing band, wow, somebody just got the record. I want the record. And that's what we did, create something, help collaborate, work with people you care about and respect, and create art and objects that you want. Yeah. And that's really it. And who cares what anybody else says? Everything else will fall into place. That was beautiful. All right, and I have one more question for you, and I think that is it. Um, okay. What's your What's your guys's top two record stores? Favorite. You want me to go first, Gib? Yeah, go for it. Uh, uh, my first is in Berlin. It's called uh, Rumsky Pumsky. Um, it is hands down my my favorite record store in the world. Mm-hmm. And my second would probably be uh, my, my 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 other favorite doesn't exist anymore, sadly. So, because um, that would have been hospital, hospital production. So it's oh yeah gone. yeah yeah it's the best. Um, uh, my second would probably be Academy, just because that's my local spot mm-hmm. and where I go to a lot. I, it's kind of like cheers for me. Like, I know everyone who works there, uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know, get a discount. And it's just, you know, it's the amount of awesome youth stuff that comes through there. I just kind of like sometimes go there just to hang out because I'm that guy. So, uh, yeah, those, those would be my two. Um, I'll sit, you know, uh, in Los Angeles, you know, the, the, my spots are uh, Mount Analog, Vacation, Amoeba. Um, but, I uh, I definitely shed a tear for the past. I, I, I used to work at Other Music in Boston um, and used to love going to the Other Music store in New York, uh, Twisted Village in Boston. Well, Twisted, I was just going to say Twisted Village. Twisted Village was the best. Yeah, and it, it, I just, yeah, it, it, I could go on and on. It's, it's tough to pick a few, but, you know, from a nostalgia perspective and um, definitely those two. All right. Um, well, I think that's all for now. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed um, talking to you guys, and I think your label is really amazing. And I love. I actually really. I pretty much like everyone that's on your label. Thank Honestly, you. yeah, really great okay, stuff going on. Yeah, and I. You guys keep it up. In Conversation was produced by DubLab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bame. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.